Good morning. Pray that God will bless the reading and preaching of his word today. Please leave your Bibles open to John 6. Bible class was asked one time what their favorite Bible story was. And one student in the class responded that his favorite Bible study, Bible class, Bible story was the one about the loafing and the fishing. Come on, wake up. I, I know we've started off slow, but it, it's. Well, this morning we're going to at least start with the story of the loafing and the fishing. So please have your Bibles open to John chapter 6. This is one of our favorite stories about Jesus, and it begins when Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee and finds a huge crowd of people waiting for him. He spends the day with them, and then he begins to be concerned about how to feed them. And it seems that the only food that's available is a little boy's sack lunch, which amounted to five barley loaves, or five biscuits as we would probably call them, and a few bites of fish. Certainly enough for a little boy, but hardly enough for 5,000 men, much less women and children. But Jesus has the crowd sit down, and he takes the bread, and he offers thanks for it. And then, as John portrays this scene, Jesus walks through the crowd, and he hands the food, hands the bread to each of them. And then he takes the fish, and he offers thanks for it, and then he gives them the fish as well. And pretty soon everyone has a meal in front of them. When it's completed, we're told that the disciples gathered up 12 baskets of leftovers, which just goes to show you that when God serves lunch, no one goes away hungry. At nightfall, Jesus goes up into the mountains to pray, and the disciples cross Galilee again. As they cross Galilee, they get caught in a storm. The wind blows and the waters get rough. But in the middle of the storm, Jesus comes walking across the surface of the water. They were terrified until he speaks. And when he speaks, he calms their fears. The next morning, the crowd discovers that Jesus and the disciples have given them the slip and have left. And immediately, the whole crowd of people takes off for Capernaum, looking for Jesus. When they find Jesus, they make a pious attempt to express concern for him. Oh, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus, knowing what is really in their hearts, tells them, the only reason that you're looking for me is that I filled your bellies yesterday. He understands what's going on in their hearts. But he takes the opportunity to talk to them about their spiritual life. He talks to them about his desire to truly feed them. He talks to them about food that endures for eternal life. And as he talks to them, he makes them an offer. He offers them the bread of life. He offers them bread that will satisfy their greatest need, their need for life, their need for God. We have more food in the United States than in any country in the world. And we can grow more food than any country in the world. But all around us, there are still starving people. 
people who are starving for the food that Jesus would give them. I don't think it's hard to find those people who are starving spiritually. They're people who are weary and lonely, who are hurting, whose lives are full of trouble and sin. We have neighbors like that. We have family like that. We have friends. Maybe there's even someone sitting here this morning whose life is just like that. They don't really know where they're going and they don't really know what their life is for. They're starving to death. Oh, they're busy to be sure, but that busyness just covers up the emptiness and the purposelessness of their lives. Someone has made the observation that when Americans get in the cars, the first thing they do is they turn on the radios because they can't stand to be by themselves. I don't know if that's true, but it's worth giving some thought. Drugs and alcohol and gambling and overeating, the failures in marriage, sexual addiction, racism are all serious problems in people's lives. But all of those problems, all of those sins are symptoms of a greater problem, of a greater sin. People have a hunger for God. He made us that way. There is a need for God in their lives, and yet they live without him. And they're hungry. They're starving to death. Just like the people who chased Jesus to Capernaum because he fed them, people around us need the bread of life. They need the life that only Jesus can give them. And so this morning, I want us to look at part, at least, of Jesus' bread of life sermon in chapter 6, as it's referred to. And in particular, I want us to notice the reaction of the crowd, the reaction of the disciples to the sermon that Jesus preaches. So let's continue our reading and listen to the part where John tells us how people reacted, beginning in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said to them, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he 
one of the twelve was going to betray him. Jesus says that he is the food that we need. Look again at verses 53 to 59. When Jesus says these words, he's reaching, he's reached the end of the sermon. It starts in verse 26. This is his summary of that sermon. The people who are listening to him have a great deal of difficulty accepting what Jesus is saying. When he tells them that the work they must do for eternal life is to believe in him, they demand a sign. They demand proof, verse 28. And when he tells them that he came to them from the Father, they begin to grumble. This is Joe and Mary's boy. They just live a few blocks off of West Street. What does he mean that he came down from heaven? Verse 42. And when Jesus says that he's the living bread from heaven and those who eat will live forever, bread which is his flesh, they become angry. They are offended by what Jesus says and they begin to argue among themselves. What does he mean that he can give his flesh to us to eat? You see, they're hearing Jesus' words, but they don't understand Jesus' words. They hear what he's saying, but they don't really hear what he is saying. Do we ever have that problem? In our lives, in our discipleship, in our trying to be Christians, do we ever come to words of Jesus that are hard for us to swallow? That are difficult for us to understand? Words that we'd rather not obey? He's offering them eternal life. But they don't get it. So as they argue among themselves, Jesus interrupts and he makes what he's saying even more plain. Verse 53. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And they have an appointment with me in the resurrection. We eat and we drink to sustain our physical lives. But we need real food and we need real drink that will sustain our spiritual life. The one who eats this real food, this real drink, Jesus' flesh and blood, remains in him, abides in him, and Jesus remains in us, in him. He says, the living Father sent me and I live because of him. And in the same one way, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the bread of life. Bread that came from heaven. And the one who eats this bread will live forever. And so Jesus is offering real food. Real drink. His flesh and his blood. But what is all of this eating flesh and drinking blood about? It's really the key to understanding John chapter 6. Christians from the earliest time thought what most of us are probably thinking. They thought that Jesus was somehow talking about the Lord's Supper. After all, the bread is to us his body, the cup is to us his blood. And that seems even more likely when you consider the fact that in discussing Jesus' time in the upper room, John omits the institution of the Lord's Supper. 
And so more than one student of John has suggested that that's what is being said here, the Lord's Supper. But ask yourself this. Does the Lord's Supper in and of itself save us? Does taking this bread and this cup give us salvation? And I hope the answer that all of us gives is no. We don't take these emblems in order to receive salvation. We take them because we have salvation. And the Lord's Supper is not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the one the Supper represents. He's talking about himself. The only way to have eternal life is to have the life of Jesus in us. It's only when we are in him, it's only when we continue in a relationship with him that we have life. To eat his flesh and to drink his blood is not something that we do literally, even when we take the Lord's Supper. It is to take Jesus, his life into us and to give ourselves to Jesus in a saving relationship by faith and by obedience. To have the life of Jesus in us is to have eternal life and it is to have fellowship with God. To eat his flesh and to drink his blood is to have the one thing that will fill that God-shaped hole that is in our hearts. Drugs and alcohol and money and power and fame and sex, none of the things that people crave so desperately can fill that hole. Only Jesus can. And when we remain in him and he in us, which is what happens when we persevere, when we continue to do as well. Our hunger, our thirst, our emptiness, our great need for God is satisfied. Not only for this life, but for eternal life. Only in Jesus can we find eternal life. Only he can save us from eternal death. Those who eat his flesh... And drink his blood, he promises, will be raised at the last day. Now, having said all of that, John also tells us about the reaction of those who are hearing Jesus. And there are two reactions. And the first one is negative. Look at verses 60 to 66. What would you think of someone who has received a diagnosis of a terrible, terrible disease? And then been told that there's one medicine that will cure that disease. But then decides, oh, I'm not going to take the medicine. That would be hard to comprehend, wouldn't it? That would be hard to understand. If there was a cure, why wouldn't you take the medicine? Well, it may be hard to imagine how these people could react to Jesus' offer of eternal life the way they do. Hard to understand why they would not accept what Jesus offers. And you see, these are not strangers. These are not people that just happened to pass by and saw the crowd of people and started listening to Jesus. John says, these are disciples. These are people that have been spending time with Jesus who have this negative reaction. Rather than embracing what Jesus is saying and trying to get a better understanding, they say to each other, this is a hard saying. Which does not mean that they're saying this is hard to understand. They're saying we will not understand this. 
This is offensive. This is insulting. This is teaching that we cannot and we will not escape this eating human flesh and drinking human blood. And Jesus knows in his heart what they're saying. He knows in his heart what they're grumbling about. And he asks them if they're offended. He, he tries to draw them out and ask them are offended. And then he says, what if you see the Son of Man ascending back to the place that he went, that he came from? Which in John's Gospel means, what if you see the Son of Man hanging on a cross? Will that offend you? Yeah, it would. And it will. There is something so fundamental, so basic, that they're missing in what Jesus is saying. And he says to them, the Spirit gives life. And the Word, the flesh, counts for nothing. The words that I'm giving you are not just words, but their Spirit, their life. They were offended by the idea that in order to have eternal life, they actually had to eat flesh and drink blood. But that's not what Jesus was saying to them. They didn't understand. What he said, when he says he's the bread of life, he's saying that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And he's saying salvation is possible only in me. There is no salvation anywhere else. And it is only those who come to me in faith and obedience who can have that eternal life, can have that salvation. That's what Jesus keeps saying, but they don't hear. Those who do hear are given the gift of eternal life. They receive the promise of the resurrection. They live in fellowship with God and with Jesus and with the Spirit. They walk in the light. Their hunger and their thirst is satisfied. They never get hungry or thirsty again, verse 35. And surely these disciples understand. Surely they'd be willing to embrace that. Surely they'd be willing to draw closer to Jesus. Surely they want life. But Jesus looks at them and in effect says to them, some of you don't want to live. Can you imagine that? Some of you don't want life. Some of you here do not believe. He is the Son of God. And he knew that some that followed him would not believe. And he knew one would betray. No one can come to the Father unless he is enabled. No one can come unless their heart is open and receptive to the good news. And their hearts are closed. They're not hearing him. And the saddest statement of this whole passage comes in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They fell away. They quit being disciples over this. They gave up salvation and eternal life. They chose to be hungry and thirsty instead of being filled and satisfied. They chose that day to be lost because they weren't willing 
to try to understand what Jesus was saying. And Jesus gives them that freedom. God doesn't force himself on people. Jesus didn't force himself on people. He offers salvation and eternal life, but he still allows the freedom to say yes or to say no. He is what everybody needs. He has forgiveness and eternal life. He offers a home in heaven. But if somebody doesn't want it, they don't have to have it. That's part of his grace. Not that that's his desire or God's desire. In verse 40, Jesus makes his desire very clear. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. I will raise him up at the last day. Which makes it even a greater tragedy when somebody hears Jesus' words of life, his offer of salvation, and still says no. When they find Jesus' words too hard to accept. And so here's a group of people that have had salvation set before them. Have had food from heaven set before them. And they refuse to eat. They refuse to eat. The second reaction to Jesus' words is positive. Look at 67 to 71. Jesus stands there and he watches his former disciples walk away from him. Did that break his heart? Were there tears in Jesus' eyes? Was the judgment of God in his face over this rejection? Finally, he turns to the twelve. And at least one student of John's Gospel suggests that the twelve are pretty much the only ones left. And Jesus asks, do you want to go away as well? Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, the rest, surely you're not going to leave. Now, Jesus' question to the twelve is a little bit ambiguous. He could be saying with certainty, I know you twelve are not going to go. I know that you're going to stay. Or he could be expressing some small amount of uncertainty. You're not going to leave, are you? I don't know which is the right way to understand Jesus, but there isn't any question about the way the twelve respond to Jesus their answer to his question. Because speaking for all of them, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. Nobody else has salvation. Nobody else has life. We believe. You are the Holy One of God. You are the one that God sent into the world. Now, they don't understand everything that's implied by that. They still have a lot of learning to do. And they may have been just as uncomfortable with the idea of eating flesh and drinking blood. Anybody raised in a Jewish home would have been offended by that. And I suspect that most of us, if we were offered human flesh and human blood to drink, probably wouldn't be too excited. But they understand that Jesus is saying something more. And Peter has no doubt. No doubt at all that Jesus is talking about eternal life and no one else 
has that. No one else can save him. And nobody else can save us except Jesus. Peter and the others who stay are believers, obedient believers. They believe and know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. They believe, they know that he is the Lord's anointed, that he is the Christ. And they are obedient. They follow after Jesus. They do what Jesus says. And in that process of being with him and listening to him and doing what he says, they are the ones who are eating his flesh. They are drinking his blood. They are taking him into their lives. They are giving their lives to him, allowing him to shape them and to make them what he wants them, wants them to be. They, at some level, understand. Peter is saying, we recognize the truth and we're going to cling to it. And then Jesus says he's not surprised. After all, he chose the disciples. He knew who would follow him and who would betray him. When we read this statement of Peter's in verse 68 and 69, we're hearing his witness. We're hearing his confession of faith. And we should read those verses just for that. That this is his testimony to us. That no matter where we look, there is only one source of eternal life, and that is Jesus. Jesus' words, Peter is assuring us, are all true. That if we accept him in faith and obedience, we will have life. If we accept him in faith and obedience, we will be raised at the last day. If we accept him in faith and obedience, we will have eternal life fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He is the bread of life that comes from heaven. He is the bread that can satisfy every human hunger, every human need, every pain, comfort every loss, forgive every sin. Now, I know that it's almost lunchtime. I've seen you looking at your watches, and I know that it's not because you want the sermon to end. Come on. Well, whether your lunch today is a quick sandwich at a fast food place or a sit-down restaurant where you don't have to unwrap your food, or whether it's one of mom's favorite Sunday dinners, the reality is is that later today you're going to be hungry again, aren't you? I don't know why it works that way. It just does. Be hungry again. The lunch will wear off and it will be time to eat. And that's true of every meal that we ever consume in this life. No matter how simple it is or how fancy it is, we will be hungry again. But if the spiritual feast we enjoy is the bread of life, we can be certain that we will never be hungry. That we will never be thirsty again. That Jesus will satisfy us for all of eternity. That he is the life that we need. His life will be in us and it will remain in us if we abide in him, believing and obeying and doing his will. His flesh and his blood are real food and real drink. We live because Jesus lives. And so the question this morning is, do you have that life in you today? Are you eating the bread of life? 
Are you eating Jesus' flesh? Are you drinking His blood? Not literally. But are you in fellowship with Him? Are you living in a right relationship with Him? Are you feasting on the bread of life? If you're a Christian and you're not doing that anymore, won't you come back to the table? Your place is still there. Jesus wants you to return to the feast. And all you have to do is ask for forgiveness, and He will receive you and welcome you back. And maybe you're not a Christian this morning. Maybe you don't have the the bread of life. Maybe you're starving. Well, if bread of life is available, it's for you today. If you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that God raised His Son from the dead. If you'll repent of your sins and confess your faith and be immersed so that He can take away your old life and give you a new life. A new life in which you'll never be hungry. A new life which will last forever. We hear Jesus' invitation today. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Let's stand and sing.